All right, grab those Bibles on your seats and go to page number 977, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Um, if you do not have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Uh, we'd love for you to take it, read it, and, and engage with it, and uh, just get to know Jesus as, and, the, and the creator of the universe as he uh, wants to shape you and change you. Um, we'd love to uh, see you do that. But that's our gift to you. Uh, for you. For those of you who are regulars here, we'd love to, uh, the, the reason we put those there is for you to follow along, but also just hold me to the point that we actually do something in the text, that we actually are teaching what the Bible says. And so I'd love to, for you to follow along in that. So Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're going to get there um, in a little bit. Right now we're just going to um, kind of lead up into that before we do it. Um, how many have realized um, that sometimes words kind of take on different meanings as they go throughout history? Um, sometimes different words change their meanings. Words kind of change different um, uh, meanings and backgrounds as, as, we, as they kind of move throughout history. And there's, there's a few that I kind of find particularly funny. Maybe you will, but I don't know. I'm a geek. Sometimes it's, I laugh at things by myself. And so, and so the, one of those words is the word addict. It used to refer to a debtor working for their creditor. Um, now it's changed uh, in its nature, um, but, it, but it used to mean that. Awful used to mean uh, instead of the negative connotation, like it's super bad, it actually used to mean it's we're full of awe in a positive connotation. And so it's kind of shifted over time as, as things have gone on. The word bimbo uh, used to mean little child. Don't call anyone bimbos, right? Throughout, you know, go throughout the day, uh, parents might get a little upset with you as you, as you say that. Uh, the word broadcast used to mean, is a farming term that used to mean you throw seeds broadly. And uh, that's super creative. I'm glad that that's a part of it. But now it means to obviously broadcast on TV and, and, and on the radio, and there's different ideas, but it, it kind of changed its meaning in time. The word bully used to mean sweetheart. Uh, doesn't mean that anymore, right? It's, it's kind of changed its meaning. Uh, the word fantastic used to mean only in your dreams, like sarcastic in its, in its nature. Um, now it's, now it's kind of like in a... In a uh, now it's a little bit uh, different as we say, hey, that's fantastic, that's great. It's, so there's a kind of a more positive connotation to it. The word nice used to mean ignorant, foolish, and silly. I mean, now we're saying nice. Sometimes my wife says to me, that's nice. And she's kind of drawing on the actual, um, the actual meaning of the word, I guess, the original meaning of the word. Uh, that's foolish or ignorant. Anyway, but, it's, but these words sometimes move through that. And today what we want to talk about is the word gospel. And sometimes throughout history, that word gets shifted and changed and moved around. But I think if we search the scriptures um, and actually look to see what the Bible says to us today, that we're going to get to the actual meaning of the word uh, gospel. Um, sometimes we let that change us. and We allow that, that the backgrounds of our church experiences. We allow different conservative or liberal backgrounds. or We allow different things tur to turn into what the meaning of the word is gospel means, but really we need to go to the Bible and say, God, God shape us and change us uh, through the meaning of the word uh, gospel. And so um, we're going we're gonna to study through that today. We're in a series called This Is Us. This is week number three, and really just my prayer for you is that you would grow roots 
um, into all that God would have you to be, that we'd understand where God created us, who God created us to become as a community, and that we would live from that with good, healthy doctrine. And so the first week we talked about the Bible and how the Bible is going to actually shape us and change us and form us. Um, and then we, we're gonna, we, we moved into the Trinity, the nature of who God was and how that shapes our community. And then today we're going to be hanging out about the, with, the, with the gospel and really what God's invitation is to us today. The word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. It means good news, believe it or not. It just means good news. It was from the first century, um, it actually turned into something that was, uh, in the first century, it was something that turned into uh, uh, the reality that when, a, when, a, when, a, when the Caesars in Rome would move into a, a new territory, um, they, would, they would actually, when, after their victory, they would send gospels, good news, kind of back to their territories. They would do it through the voice of a herald or an evangelist, and they would send them back to the territory announcing the good news that Caesar has just won a new victory, has, has, has a new victory, has expanded his kingdom. And so the good news of the gospel um, really started out with the good news of a victory in battle and how Caesar was really, uh, Caesar was expanding his reign and his territory. The point of a herald and an evangelist, when people heard him coming back, when they heard him coming back, they wanted to know, has our reality changed? That the, the herald would let them know about who lived and who died and all the details of the battle. But ultimately they wanted to know, who is our king and what kingdom are we a part of? And so what they so really the first Christians that wrote the that wrote a lot of the scriptures, they had a field day with this. So Mark 1 verse 1 um, says this. It says, This is the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now this verse is actually, you're like, okay, that's cool. It's the first verse of Mark, but it's actually packed with implications. What they believed in the first century, that the, the Roman Empire believed that the Caesar, the empire, uh, the emperor, was the son of God. They believed Caesar was the son of God, and that the gospel was good news about the victory um, in battle. But here we, we here we see Mark introducing Jesus as the son of God, and this gospel is about him. And so right away, you would see, if you read this verse in the first century, it's just instantly blinding with all sorts of rewiring and all sorts of changes and really what, in what that statement holds. And so what the gospel writers did, Mark, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they, when they wanted to announce something about, when they wanted to announce this, king, this new king and this kingdom um, that's found in Christ, is they would begin to tell about his life, death, and resurrection. They would talk about his life and his death and his resurrection because they wanted everyone to know the king of, of who, uh, they wanted everyone to know who their new king was. And so you read the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and the story about what this new kingdom looked like and what this new king was all about. It was a, rea it was a reality that was, that was true, that they needed to live from. And at the end of these gospels, my, one of my favorite parts, is at the end of these gospels, the Caesar what actually kills Jesus. And what does Jesus do after he dies? Right, that's okay, yeah, we're good. Yeah, it's a Sunday school answer, right? Jesus, Jesus resurrects, right? He resurrects after his death. And so the point of the gospel is that death does not have the final word. Caesar is not Lord. There's actually someone greater than Caesar that we should actually call Lord. 
And so the gospel, the good news of Caesar is actually turned into the good news of Jesus and that there's a new king, his name is Jesus, and the kingdom that he's, followed, the kingdom that he's in is the kingdom of heaven and it's this kingdom has packed within it all things as God intended them to be. This is the new reality for people. Now, but here's really where it all goes crazy. Here's really where it all goes crazy is that, is that everybody thought Everybody thought that Jesus the Messiah was going to establish a geographical kingdom on earth. I mean, that was like center to the Jewish belief at this time. They, like, they, they, wanted, him to, they wanted him to establish a geographical center where they would worship him and understand that they were God's people. But, but that is not what ends up happening. Look at what Luke 17 says. Um, this is what Jesus teaches um, in it. It says, One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among or within you. So here's where this, this reality kind of kicks in, is that this kingdom is not a place in which you live, but it's a reality from which you live. The kingdom of God isn't this place that you live in, but it's the reality of your heart, reality of your life from which you live from without it. So the kingdom of God is within you, and it's going to change the way in which you live life and interact with all of the realms outside of you. And so the gospel really is this good news that Jesus is the king, that there's a new kingdom that you can live within, that the, the announcement is, is that the, the kingdom of heaven is where all things are as God intended them to be, and it can change and shape every aspect of our life to the way God intended you to live. And so when you live, when you understand all of that's packed into this word gospel, this euangelion, and the evangelists and heralds that used to carry the good news, you begin to see and interact with all sorts of different things. So here's really what the here's really what the God what we would define the gospel as. Um, here's what we would define the gospel as um, as a church is that the gospel is the good news that the triune God is orchestrating the restoration of a broken creation and fallen creatures from the effects of Satan and sin back to the Father through the life, death, resurrection of the Son Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's this announcement of the good news that there's a king. His name is Jesus. And it's through that that God is restoring all things back to the Father through Jesus, power, empowered by the Spirit. It's a reality that we get to live from now. It's not a place that we're looking forward to going or being, but it's a reality that we're already there. And it's from that reality which we approach every aspect of our life. And so when we step back and we think about the Bible and what it's going to teach us about the gospel, when we step back and think about what the gospel is going to teach us, it's going to teach us a plan that God has to restore all things. And I think it's good that we should probably know what that is. Amen? How many times, I don't know, this is kind of off script, but how many times have you gone to church and been like, I actually don't know what we're celebrating here, right? Have you been there before? Like multiple times for me, I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> but I think when you understand the gospel, again, good, healthy doctrine is going to infuse good, healthy relationships in life. And so when you understand the truth of the gospel, this announcement of good news, why is it good news? Why is it good news? 
And so when we walk through this, I, I hope that you're going to be able to say, okay, that's good news. Are we ready for that? Okay, man. All right, let's have a talk about when pastor asks you a question. All right, maybe not. Don't leave me hanging up here, right? Come on. Ephesians chapter 2. Um, we're going to be there in a second. Here's the plan of redemption that God has, the, God's plan to restore all things. Yeah, um, and we're literally going to go through the whole Bible right now, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and, and we're going to enjoy that, uh, oh, hopefully. Anyway, we're going to enjoy that. Number one, God's plan for restoration. Number one is the reality. We have to understand that God has a broken plan. A lot of times, here's what we do. We start at the reality that everything's broken. But what we're supposed to do, the Bible doesn't start there. The Bible starts off with the fact that everything was as God intended it to be. It started out with this like really awesome blueprint and that God creates this world and everything that he created is going exactly as he needed it, as, exactly as he wanted it. And so he actually has a plan. He has an intention for his world. He has an intention for his people. And guess what? It's good, right? God creates the world and he creates it good. Yes, thank you, one person. He creates it he creates it good. He doesn't create it bad. He doesn't start off with broken pieces. He starts off with a very good creation. And this is actually what he, 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 he creates us and invites us into this type of life that he designed for us. And Genesis 2 kind of gives us what this is. A lot of times when you, th when you think about this, we often forget that God had this good plan. Here's what his plan was. Like this is what he wants for us. In Genesis 2, he talks about it. He goes, he goes really, I created you for rest. Verses 1 through 3 talks about literally the first thing that humans were asked to do was to rest in the creation that God had for them. Isn't that amazing? Someone needs to hear that today, I think. Someone who's been working 70 or 80 hours a week, right? The first thing, God, yeah, Paul's like, me, man, I'm, that's me. <laughs> Rest is the first thing that God asks any humans to do. Why? Because what we're doing is we're acknowledging that life was not built on me. Life is not built on us. Life is built on the creator God, and we fall underneath him, and so we rest. It's the first thing he's asked man to do is to rest underneath him. And then he says, okay, let me give you an identity in me. I've given you the image of God. Let me give that to you. He, he creates beauty and invites us into beauty. Isn't it so cool that God cares about beauty? He doesn't care about just functionality. He doesn't just care about like whether or not he can use you for his kingdom. He cares about joy. He cares about beauty. He cares about whether or not you think something's cool and beautiful and pleasing. He cares about good food and he cares about awesome art. He cares about the uh, maybe not the Patriots winning, but not that far. But, but he, cares about, he cares about things. And he cares that you like it and that you find delight in it and that you find pleasing to it. Like he creates the world with the creation, in, in the DNA of the creation, delight and beauty and joy. I love that. He creates provision, invites us into providing for us. Like he's given us this ability to, to work underneath him and entrust him as he provides us with resources. It's work. It, like work was before the fall. Like he's inviting us to, to participate in the ongoing creation of the world. He didn't just create the world static and like everything's perfect. He, he created the world with this ability for it to keep going and continue to move forward. 
He created the world with freedom. Um, like he didn't create man and woman with this just, okay, you have to do this and you have to do that. He says, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for one, right? And we just couldn't keep our hands off of it. Partnership, like God creates, creates all of these things and asks Adam to name them. Did God need Adam to name the animals? He didn't, but he wanted him to because he wants us to join him in this ongoing creation work. He wants us to do that. He wants us to use our jobs, our passions, our desires to be a part of that. And then lastly, he talks about community, how it's not good for man to be alone. And so like, this is a, a plan. I, I would love for you to go study this and move through this uh, throughout the week. Uh, but, but these are really just some concepts that God creates the world with that this is good, this is his design for us, that we would find rest and identity and beauty in him. But we don't have to look very far and look very hard to understand that the world doesn't look like this, right? We have to be too realistic to understand that that's actually what's going on. And so number one is the reality. God had a plan. God has a plan. He has an intention. But number two, um, the problem is the fact that sin broke everything. Genesis chapter 3 talks about how man and woman decide that they could be the creator and they decide to take God off the throne of their lives, off their hearts, and say, I could actually do what he does. And I, he's, he actually is withholding from me. He's holding out on me. He's not giving me everything that's, that's good for me. And I can only do that. I can do that if I work hard enough and do the things that I need to do. And so Genesis 3 said, when that happens, man and woman eat from the tree that they're not supposed to eat from, thus declaring that they are actually Lord of their own lives. And what the Bible teaches is that all-out rebellion and brokenness begins to take place. Sin breaks everything. What we like to do in New England culture is we like to do this. We like to say sin is the activity of which we do. So as long as I don't swear or cuss or chew or run with girls who do, then I'm good, right? And so one of those three, one of the activities that interact with all of that, but really what the Bible teaches is that sin is the state of our whole being, the nature of who we are. And from our nature, from our heart, flows sinful activity. And so a lot of times what we're doing is we're just maneuvering the, chair, the deck chairs on the Titanic. Like this sucker's going down, but we think we should be sitting, like sitting lounging around. If we just try really hard, we can make this thing look better. But really, sin is the nature of from, like, where all activity flows from. And so we see that sin breaks everything. Sin breaks everything. And so it breaks us personally, where we begin to find shame in, our, in who we are, and we begin to hide from people. We'd rather live in the dark than in the light. We'd rather live with lies than truth. And we have shame that covers over most of our entire lives. It breaks us relationally and communally, where instead of going to relationships and offering what we can give and what we can serve and how we can love, we look for how relationships can orbit around us. And it breaks us culturally. Instead of becoming co-creators with God for the world, we become consumers of it and we ask God, we ask the world to just consume our needs instead of serving it and being part of God's good creation and how he can, we can celebrate and help it flourish. And so this is what, this is, this is, this, Jesus is teaching this in Mark 7, where he teaches uh, that the problem of sin, it starts out something much, 
much deeper. So throw Mark, Mark chapter 7 on the screen, please. It says this, Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. And so sin at the nature of who we are is what produces sinful activity. And so we have to get to the heart of the matter. And so this really will separate you from many worldviews. When you look at the world and say everything's broken, right? We can read, we can watch the news and we can interact with all different things and say, oh, this is broken. What the Christian worldview will teach and what the Bible teaches is that sin broke it. At the nature, at the very nature of everything is that sin broke it and that it all is groaning and in need of a savior. And so really the remedy then becomes, point three, the remedy becomes the gospel, Jesus. So in God's plan of restoration, you have the, 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 the reality that God had a plan that broke. Number two is that the problem, the sin broke everything. Three is that, it, but, but really how do we fix this? He sends his son, Jesus, to begin a process of restoration. And it's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that God is restoring all things back to what he originally intended them to be. It's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that he, in, he begins to restore all things. So here's what we will affirm as a church um, about Jesus. This is, this is pulled right from our doctrinal statement um, that you can download on the web um, and, and read if you'd like. Uh, but this is what we would affirm to be about Jesus, if you could throw those up. He was fully God and fully man. We, we affirm his virgin birth, his sinless life amidst numerous trials and, teaching, uh, and testings, his teachings and miracles demonstrated his love and compassion, his establishment of the kingdom of God on earth, his sacrificial death for the atonement of sin, his bodily resurrection from the, from the dead uh, overcame the power of evil and defeated death, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and his, and his eventual personal return in, the power, in power and glory. And so we affirm this about Jesus, that he, because of all the truth packed into who he is as fully God and fully man, is able to establish this restoration work through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he begins to uh, move through this. And this, this is where Ephesians 2 comes into play here. If you want to pull your, your scriptures out, we'll, we're going to read through, through verses 1 through 10. But this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul uh, from the first century is going to describe to the church in Ephesus. Really what this process looks like, this plan looks like, this redemption really engages with. And so Ephesians 2 verse 1 says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Verse 3, it says all of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So look up. Everyone's, everyone's literally, Paul's literally describing a time before Christ, and he calls it death. That before Christ, before, before we, we meet him and, and are, are restored into his image, we are dead. 
And so that's before Christ. But then he's going to say in this awesome text, verse 4 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. And so here's what he's establishing. He's saying, death, but God is so rich in mercy that he gives us new life in Christ. There's this moment in your life, if you are pursuing Christ, or, and as Christ is pursuing you, that you should be able to see death, but God, new life. At that moment, those, those experiences, those, uh, those understandings, those realities from which you live from within should cause deep joy and gratitude and overwhelming sense of worship because you knew who you were before Christ. You knew the, but, the, the death part. And then you're grateful for the but God part so that you can experience this new life in Christ. Are we tracking on that? So when you see baptism take place, when someone announces this for the first time, they say, this is my death. This is what I'm dying to. But God is so rich in mercy I can have new life because of Christ. That, at the center of who we are as a church, will bring up and well up worship to God the Father in a way that that literally changes all things. And so he continues in verse 8. This is what he says. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. How, How frustrating is that? Isn't it? Like, don't you want to, like, do good things and get rewards for it? Like, yes, everyone wants to do that. that, As exemplified by our four- and five-year-olds, right? Like, here's a Hot Wheels car. Everything's better. You know, everything works out. And a lot of times we live our life with Christ in the same manner. I'm doing the right things. You should give me new life. And he says, none none of that is based off that. It's based off me. It's based off my grace to you. And so you find yourself resting in the grace of God, not trying to work your butt off, trying to get his attention. You have his attention because he's given you grace and mercy. And so he's pursuing you in this. So we don't work for his love, but we do work from his love. Look what verse 10 says. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So we don't work for his salvation, but we work from his salvation. We don't work for it. We work from it. And so we are now full of joy because of all that God has done in us. Okay, so we have this understanding that God had a broken plan. The reality is God had a broken plan. It broke. Sin broke everything. And God sends Jesus to begin restoring it. Fully God, fully man. He moves towards us in our death while we had nothing to offer him. We had no reason for him to ever get our attention. He had no reason to ever give us his attention. But yet in his grace, he does. He pursues us through the spirit to come back towards him. 
to be restored by him. And so in those moments, what is our response? If you have that understanding that you are dead, you're dead without Christ, you're dead without Christ, what is our response? Our response, according to Mark chapter 1, is, repent, is repentance and confession. Is repentance and confession. When you go to Mark chapter, when you, when you understand that, that you were dead and God had mercy on you and God had grace on you, you will begin to repent and confess. And now this is good news for us because in confession and repentance, we realize that we don't have to be okay. It's okay to not be okay. Our, in our repentance and our confession, we realize we're full of sorrow over sin. We're full of sorrow over sin, but we know that grace is bigger than it. And so we find joy in the fact that we can repent and confess. Repentance is literally a word that means to turn around. Repent To repent is not just this old dusty word that I got to wallow in my shame here. Repent is simply to turn around and live as God created you to live. I was living this way, but because of God and his grace, I can now live this way. And so we repent and confess. Number five, the response, the, the result is justification, adoption, and sanctification. So upon confession and repentance and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, here's what Jesus does for you. He justifies you. You were guilty. You're not guilty any longer. That when God sees you, he sees Jesus. He adopts you as his son and daughter. That means he delights in you as a son and a daughter. Here's what I know. I've been doing ministry. I grew up in New England. I grew up, I've been doing ministry now for three years in New England. Here's what I know to be true. Because I've talked to you enough. I've talked to enough of you to, to get this from you. Is that a lot of you believe that, that God has to love you because it's in his nature. But if he had a choice, he wouldn't really like you. And gosh, that's so weighty to believe that the God of the universe doesn't like you for who you are. That the God of the universe is actually, if he had to, would choose not to spend his time with you. But adoption means that he delights in you now, right now, in all of your junk and all of your mess and all of your brokenness and everything that you have to offer him, which the Bible says is rags in comparison to what he can give you. He says, right now, we can live with this assurance that he likes us. And some of you, you respond to that with self-deprecation. You say, man, I need to be better. I need to do better. I need to pull up my bootstraps and try to earn this thing. And he says, no, you're missing it. Some of you, you just do it with straight anger. You respond and you say, I just got to be a better person. I'm just going to do it. Or you blame somebody else. And you say, no, 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 it's their fault. It's not my fault. He says, no, no, no. He, is, he likes you now. You don't need to be shameful. You don't need to move away from him because he likes you. And then he begins to change you. It's this word sanctification. It's this, this movement to, to restore you to his original intention for you. So upon understanding that sin breaks everything in you, you can have assurance 
that he has declared you not guilty, that you have adoption in Christ. And so there's delight coming from God, of the, coming from the triune God of the universe and that he's changing you to look more like him. And lastly, what do you do? When you have that reality informing the way you live life, the restoration is that you can pursue joy. John 15 says this. this I love, this is Jesus talking about why he is talking about the gospel, announcing this new king, announcing this new kingdom. He says this, I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy holy mature and your joy holy mature God has a plan of restoration for you so you can have joy and it's from joy that he creates the entire world he wants your joy and so when we understand because how many know we're, we're going to jack this thing up right just me okay two hands up for me that's sweet. All right. I got you. I got you. I got, it. I got you all covered too. So don't worry about it. Like I'm going to, I'm going to screw this thing up. I have the reality that I'm not guilty. I, I understand that I've been adopted as a son and daughter of God. I understand that he's changing me, but I'm going to continue to screw that up. But because of our justification, because of our adoption, we know that God's not shunning us and moving away from us, but he's moving towards us in grace and mercy and love. And it's from this reality that he's going to change us. And so we live this life of joy, of confessing and repenting and living in community because we know that God's the center of it all. And so church, the gospel is the invitation. It's the good news that God has a plan to put it all back together again. And he's inviting you to be a part of that. And so for you, that could be the first time you've ever heard this sort of thing. And you say, well, really, I don't have anything bad going on in me. Except for the pride that you don't have anything bad going on in you. Right? Or maybe you feel like, no, certainly I don't feel I'm not worthy of that type of joy, that type of, he's, he's saying, no, I just, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of this. Or maybe for you, this is like boring. This is like so basic for you. But you know what I think some of the biggest problems that we have as the American church is that we don't find the news of the gospel joyful any longer. Like we're not exuberantly glad about the fact that God has a mercy and grace on us, that, that we were dead and now we're alive and we've lost the fact that we've actually transitioned from one to the next. Or we don't have a deeper understanding of the fact that we were dead at one point and we come to church simply because we think it's a good thing to do. And God would invite you to live a life of deep gladness, deep joy, deep deep gratefulness because at one point God said, in my mercy and grace, I still approached you when you were dead. And the crowd went wild, right? Come on. 
I won't have to coach you one day. One day I won't have to coach you. I think that. I believe that. Because when I meet someone that, that, that when, I, when I talk to someone who just met Jesus, oh man, the joy that's coming from them, the deep gladness, this understanding of God's goodness, the humility, oh, it's deep. But what happens is we begin to fall asleep to the things of God and we don't have this deep gladness any longer about the fact that there's a but God in Ephesians chapter 2. And so this could be your first time hearing this news. This could be your thousandth time hearing this news. And I would invite you to fall in love with your first love again. So today, God's good plan of redemption, God's good plan of restoration is his announcement, his gospel to you is that things are broken, but he's putting them back together again. And then there's a new king, his name is Jesus, and he wants you to follow him. And so today, we're going to take our part around the table, and we're going to celebrate this together and reorient our lives on the fact that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He has every aspect of me and that I can go into every realm of my life now with that reality that I live in the kingdom of heaven and he's my king.